faith is, I want you to consider a very significant question. Not to be taken lightly, not to be overlooked, certainly not to be dismissed. I want you to consider, is it possible? Is it even likely? Is it, yes, is it certain that God has specially equipped you to accomplish something very significant for his kingdom? Is it possible that God wants to use, plans to use, expects to use you in a contribution to his kingdom that nobody else can make, and that the church that he has planted on this earth desperately needs you to make? Is that possible? Is it likely? Yes, it is certain. Let's explore that together today. I'm Pastor Rick Stevens, and this is Faith Is. This is the program where we challenge each other and we think carefully about what the Bible says in an attempt for us to realize that faith is absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. Absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. So is God trustworthy enough to use you in his kingdom? Is God trustworthy enough to have by his design and purpose, selected you and especially equipped you so that you can accomplish something significant for the church that there's no way the church can get along like it needs to without. And we're going to talk about that because I think it is one of the most insightful and helpful concepts in all of the Bible. I'm the pastor of Diplomat Wesleyan Church in Cape Coral, Florida. In case you wonder about me, I pastor a church. Somebody asked me this week, so do you actually preach at your church? And I kind of smiled and said, yes, every Sunday, pretty much every Sunday. Occasionally, uh, we'll have something else, but pretty much every Sunday, it's just me. And I'm delighted to do it. And our church is delighted to bring you these programs, and we want them to be helpful. And this concept today has been particularly helpful to me in my life. And I just wish it could be as helpful to you and to everyone else. It seems that people have trouble grasping this, maybe not understanding it, but, but making it real in their lives as though it's, it's, it's for somebody else, not for them. And I hope that I can help you realize that this is for you. It's for everyone who is a follower of Jesus, because it's clear that that's what the Bible is talking about. That's what the Bible wants us to understand. So let's start with, and, and I don't like to start with this, but let's start with my personal story a little bit, just to give you a little context for that. And, and uh, the context will help you understand, I hope, why this, this particular uh, instruction from the Bible or, or reality that the Bible talks about has made so much difference in helping me in my life. Among all my faults and weaknesses, this has really helped me in ways that I find difficult sometimes to describe. I grew up in a time when there was a lot of emphasis on, on missionaries and being a missionary, and there was a lot of emphasis, as I recall from my early church life, on finding the will of God and doing the will of God for our lives. And I was particularly attuned to that and listened carefully to that. I, I didn't know exactly what to do with all of that uh, for a long time. I was convinced, really, I, for as long as I can remember, I believed that the Lord had called me to some kind of vocational ministry, some kind of, of ministry that, that was um, set apart, so to speak, like we think of as a pastor or, in this case, a missionary. 
And I can remember hearing about missionary stories and, and seeing them present their um, programs when they would come to church to visit, and they would bring slides and show us pictures of the things they did, and they would tell us stories about things. And, and I was interested and fascinated, and well, I, it came to a point that I was afraid that God was going to call me to be a missionary. Uh, and I, I remember having that palpable fear. I don't think I told anybody at the time. I haven't told people much about that until much later in my life. But I remember having that real fear that, that God was going to expect me to be a missionary. And I didn't think I wanted to be a missionary at all. And there were two reasons that, that I didn't think God should call me to be a missionary, or, or maybe I should put it this way, that I didn't want to be a missionary. Two very real reasons that stood out in my mind. And, and stand out in my mind to this day. One of them was, I did not like hot weather. And all of the missionaries I heard speak talked about them being missionaries someplace in Africa where it was hot. And I had never enjoyed hot weather. In fact, I had enjoyed cooler weather more than hot weather. And so I didn't want God to call me to be a missionary because I didn't want to have to go to a place where the weather was hot because I didn't like hot weather. That sounds like a kid and the maybe the silly notions we get sometimes as children, or, or maybe I should say less thought out notions. But at any rate, I, I remember thinking that quite clearly that I didn't want to go to Africa. And that's the only place I knew missionaries went at that time, because I didn't want to go someplace where it was hot. And the other thing I remember hearing is the missionaries would come back and they would tell us the stories of their encounters with snakes. And uh, I know that's a little bit amusing. And I guess they told that because people were interested. And I remember thinking, uh, I don't want to go to any place where it's hot. And I remember thinking I didn't like snakes and I didn't want to go where there are a bunch of snakes. So I was really afraid that God would call me to be a missionary. And I knew I did not want to be a missionary. Well, fast forward many years and much development in my life. And lo and behold, I find myself in Southwest Florida, Cape Coral, Florida. And guess what? In Southwest Florida, we use more air conditioning days than any other place in the country. In, in short and in simple language, that means it's hot here a lot of the time. In fact, even in winter, we have what I would say are pretty warm days, not hot compared to summer in Southwest Florida, but very warm. So God in his sense of humor heard a, a kid from Ohio talking to him saying he didn't want to go to a hot place and lo and behold here i am in southwest florida a very warm area of our country and the second thing that after i moved to florida and i was aware of uh, some of the hazards in florida i think some of my family members were particularly aware of the of the uh, stories we had heard about alligators and and i knew they were around and when we got here people said well for sure you got to be careful about alligators because you have to assume wherever there is water, there is an alligator. So be cautious. And sure enough, I've learned that's true. I haven't had any bad encounters with an alligator, but other people have. And you'll hear that every now and then reported on the news around here. But the intriguing thing that I learned all oh, some time after we were in Florida, I mean, several years, I knew about the hot weather and I'd experienced that for sure. But I came across an article that said in the article, that there were more, yes, you guessed it, more snakes in Florida than in Africa. And I thought, oh my, doesn't God have a sense of humor? Here was a kid from Ohio who didn't want to go to Africa as a missionary because of hot weather and snakes, 
But here he is in Southwest Florida, the land of hot weather and more snakes than there are in places in Africa. So how is it that we come to the places we are in our lives so that we can understand and fulfill the will of God? How can we answer the call of God so that we find ourselves in a place where we are supposed to be? And I don't have any doubt that I should have come to Florida. That's not what I'm expressing at all. But what, what I find really amusing is how, how did God get us to where we need to be? How did he get you to where you need to be? Or maybe he hasn't. And maybe you're wrestling with that. Maybe you're wrestling with what is it that God really expects you to do? And I want us to talk about the concept that in the Bible that absolutely clarified God's expectations for me and for my life in a way that, as I said, it's difficult for me to communicate, but it's as real to me as anything that I've ever experienced and learned from the Bible, because it just had such a transformative effect on my life. And it gave me such a sense of certainty that I was doing what God had expected me to do. And I didn't have to wonder about that. I didn't have to worry about that. I had this settled certainty that I was what and where and doing what God expected me to do. The general description of what I'm talking about goes by the description of spiritual gifts. Now, every time I bring up that term, spiritual gifts, I think a lot of people kind of get uh, immediately off track. And I, I want to talk about that in a minute. So don't get off track yet. So stay with me. All right. Don't jump to conclusions that I'm not going to jump to. Don't jump to conclusions that God does not want us to jump to. Make sure you think about this carefully. And we're going to talk about this a little bit to help help each other, help ourselves understand what God is talking to us about, and then put into practice the things that we need to put into practice in our lives so that we can fulfill what God has called us to do and to be. So sometimes, and I said earlier, people wrestle with what is the call of God on their lives? What does God want us to do? How do we know if we're fulfilling what God has called us to do? And I'm convinced that God gives every believer spiritual gifts, and those gifts equate to the call of God. So that if God gives you gifts, and we'll talk about this one just a little bit by illustration in a little while, if God gives you the gift of hospitality, and you know that God has specially equipped you by the Holy Spirit with the gift of hospitality, then you know that exercising that gift in, in a, maybe a variety of ways is fulfilling the will of God in your life. Now, you may not have the gift of hospitality. You may have a different gift, and that's okay. The point is this, and the principle is this, that the call of God is equivalent to the gifts God has given us so that we can then use those gifts in the context of the church to help the church and to accomplish what God is trying to accomplish on this earth through us and through the church. So in, a, in, in short, spiritual gifts are given by God to believers to benefit the church. They're not given to benefit us, although I have found it a huge benefit. It has helped me a lot, and I find enormous fulfillment in using the gifts God has given me to benefit the church. And I'm continually conscious that, that whatever I'm able to do that helps someone is not for my benefit. It's for other people's benefit. It's for the benefit of the church. And if I get caught up in, in how thrilled I am that God has done this for me, I miss the focus and I miss the point. And I'm regularly conscious 
that nothing that I do in the, full, in the exercise of my gifts, in the fulfillment of the will of God, nothing that I do is for my benefit. It's to benefit the church, and I need to keep that very much in mind. Now, to get us into this idea, I want us to, to take a look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. There are a number of places in the Bible that talk about spiritual gifts, but this is one of the key places. And to begin with, I'd like to read this section from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's not the entire chapter that I want to read today. Next week, if we do as planned, we'll get into this some more. So if you don't quite find my explanation satisfactory today or my challenges satisfactory, uh, stick around. Come back next week. We'll have a little bit more about this because, as I said, I found this so helpful, and I want you to find that same help in that, and I want to do it as clearly and carefully as I can and chapter 12 is longer than what we want to tackle in one week anyway. And um, hopefully by taking two weeks, at least we can, we can clarify this and give you some, some, real, some real support in seeking and finding what God has gifted you to do. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, and I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you used to be enticed and led astray by mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different activities but the same God produces each gift in each person. A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. To one is given a message of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, a message of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the performing of miracles. To another, prophecy to another distinguishing between spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues, one and the same Spirit is active in all these, distrib distributing to each person as he wills. So let's tackle this, and let's begin to think through this idea of spiritual gifts. Now, right up front, I'm going to either help you or maybe infuriate you or maybe make you want to turn off this program and not think about this anymore. But you know, we who are, who are pastors who are expected to help people understand the Bible, we have to tell the truth as we understand it and as God helps us understand it, whether we think people will like it or not. And I hope you will like it. I hope you will, you will not, not turn away. I hope you will not dismiss this idea that I want to talk to you about. I hope you will, you will consider it and ask the Lord if perhaps this is giving you some guidance in a way that you maybe didn't expect, but I think the church really needs, and I hope it will help you. So let's just get right into it. Some people, when they hear the phrase spiritual gifts, immediately think about things that I do not believe the Bible intends them to think about, at least first. Spiritual gifts, as the Bible explains it, are simply gifts of grace that God gives to the believers. But many people, far too many people in my estimation, immediately equate the whole concept of spiritual gifts with things like 
speaking in tongues. And I'm going to use that illustration because Corinthians later, not in this chapter we're looking at, but later, talks about that. So please do not make the mistake of thinking that I'm talking about spiritual gifts and equating that with speaking in tongues. And again, the definition matters a lot, but let's just use the general description of speaking in tongues. I think you probably get the idea of what I'm talking about. We're talking about some kind of ecstatic language or prayer language. It goes by different names when people talk about speaking in tongues. Now, the problem that occurred in the Corinthian church that Paul is addressing here is very similar to the problem the church has today. In the Corinthian church, it's clear from later chapters, not this first one, but from later chapters, along about chapter 14, it's very clear that some of the people in the church at Corinth were going around with a little bit of spiritual superiority because of their understanding and practice of speaking in tongues. And again, however that's defined in the scriptures and your understanding, that's kind of the idea. But they thought because they could do that, that they were somehow more spiritual than other people. And Paul is trying desperately to bring correction to that, to say to them, no, you aren't more superior to other people. In fact, the gift of tongues, or I usually prefer to say languages, because I think that's a better, less, oh, how should we say, uh, inflammatory description. It doesn't carry some of the baggage that this idea of tongues has. I sometimes wonder if the early translators of the English Bible had used the word languages instead of tongues, if we might have been better off in our understanding of this. And my tendency is to say, yeah, I think we would. But we're focusing right now on this sense of superiority that some people get from this concept of speaking in tongues. And Paul says to the Corinthian church, no, you're not spiritually superior. And he says to us today, because this happens all the time, I've seen this for much of my life, where people will talk about this idea of speaking in tongues as though they are somehow more spiritual than other people who don't speak in tongues. And that simply is not biblical. It simply is not at all in, in line with, it simply does not stand up to scrutiny when you look at the scriptural explanations of the idea of spiritual gifts given to the church. So let's just put away this idea that, that any gift is more superior than others. Occasionally, you'll even get the idea that people think that uh, the gift of teaching the Bible is more superior. That's not, not, that's not true at all. The, the Bible does not talk about gifts as one being superior over another. Uh, in fact, it's fair to say that no spiritual gift is more important than any other spiritual gift. So when you discover that God has given you a gift, don't think that you're somehow less than because you have a certain gift. They are all important. In fact, the Bible teaches us that each gift is necessary, but not sufficient. So in other words, the church needs all of the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives the believers, but no single gift is sufficient for the church to be the church that God calls us to be. And so much of what Paul is teaching us here in, in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, is to straighten out this misunderstanding of superiority in relation to this concept of spiritual gifts. And much of our problem today, it seems to me, is that that we shy away from, from exploring the idea of spiritual gifts because we get caught up in, well, they must be related to speaking in tongues or some other uh, gift that kind of goes beyond our ability to get our minds around. 
And I want us to understand that that's not at all what's going on in, in the scriptures. That has something that has developed because of our misunderstanding of things, not because God wanted us to, to do that. So let's kind of go through this. In verse one, uh, I, when I was reading and working on this, somebody said it's almost like a slap in the face. In verse one, as Paul says, look, you people don't understand, you don't get it. And, and it's kind of a wake-up call. What do you mean, Paul? We don't get it. And, and it's as though he's saying, no, you don't get it. But he says, I want you to understand. I want you to know about spiritual gifts. So see, even this idea that some would take that one is superior to another is, is a misunderstanding. And, and Paul wants to straighten that out. The scriptures want to straighten that out. For, he, he for the Corinthians and we for all of us. So he says he wants you to understand. He wants you to know. And that's very significant. God is not withholding things from us. He wants us to know, and he wants us to understand. And so the next chapters, chapter 12 in particular, but also chapter 13 and into chapter 14, is the explanation of what Paul wants us to know. And he really, really is intent in moving us from the don't know column to the no column, so we can understand what's going on here. He starts out in, with that kind of wake-up call, and then he moves on to, to kind of an unusual insertion here. It's almost as though it doesn't belong in one sense, but he, he makes the comparison between how they once followed what he describes as mute idols, and now they're following Jesus, and he wants them to understand, and, and it, it, it's kind of curious in the first glance, because clearly it can't mean literally that what he's saying here that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean that you literally can't use those words. What he's talking about is you can't confess Jesus as Lord without the Holy Spirit helping you do that, without the what we would call, and accurately so, the gift of grace. We cannot follow Jesus without God's gift of grace to change our lives and to make us His. And that's clear from the Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. You're probably familiar with that or may have heard it. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. And so what Paul is saying here in verses 2 and 3 is not a literal confession, but a spiritual confession that you can't confess Jesus as Lord of your life except by the grace that God gave you through confidence in him, through faith. And it's not something you did, it's the gift of God. In the same way, now he goes on to talk about spiritual gifts. In the same way, following Jesus is a gift from God, so now these special abilities that he calls spiritual gifts are gifts from God. And, and that helps us, doesn't it? That helps us a great deal, because now we understand that it's not something that we do on our own, and it's not something unusual, because if grace to be saved, to be a follower of Jesus is a gift from God, and it is, then we can understand that God could give us other gifts, and we could use and, and thrive on those gifts, and the church could thrive because of what we are able to contribute to each other. So let's, let's explore that. In verse 4, let's read a couple of more verses and then talk about those a little bit, because it's, it's really dense with, with uh, meaning and understanding. We want to make sure we, we get the full and intent of that. So verse four is this. Now there are different gifts, but the same spirit. Verse five, there are different ministries, but the same Lord. Verse six, and there are different activities, but the same God produces each gift in each person. So you get the idea pretty quickly that we're talking about differences 
And we're talking about sameness in those three verses. Now, what he says is there are different gifts, ministries, and activities. And those words are translated differently in different English translations. You look at yours and it might be different. I like the way the Christian Standard Bible does it because it helps me distinguish a little bit of the idea that, that he has in mind here between gifts, ministries, and activities. So those are different for all of us, but the un uniting factor, the unifying point is that they are given to us by the same God, Lord, and Spirit. The same God produces in each one of us the gifts that he gives us that result in ministries and activities. So the differences are significant because we all have different gifts. The sameness is absolutely significant because it all flows from the same spirit. It is the spirit that is the unifying factor on all of this. So a couple of conclusions from these verses, just to make sure we're clear about that. First thing that we, we never want to forget, we never want to forget this, that the gifts are given by God, or we often say by the Holy Spirit. They are clearly God's gift to us. Now, some people have trouble thinking that God would give them a special spiritual gift. And I, every Christmas, I, I'm reminded of this, and I've mentioned this before, that there was a little song that I heard a long time ago, and I can't remember much of it, but I can remember this much. A gift is not a gift until it is received. And a truth is not a truth until it is believed. So my hope is that when I say to you that the scriptures are teaching us that these gifts come from God, that you will believe that. And that truth will be something you believe so that it makes a difference in your life. Because that truth really needs to ring in your heart so that you can practice what the truth teaches us. And the second part of that is when the song starts out with a gift is not a gift until it is received. So many people, it seems to me, just resist this idea that God has given them special abilities for them to use for the benefit of the people of God. And right off the bat here in these verses, it reminds us that these gifts are given by God, given by the Holy Spirit. And that is a truth we can believe and that those gifts then we need to receive so that we can live out what God has called us to do with those gifts. So the second thing out of these three verses that I want to get to and is, is right along that same line. The gifts that God gives to us are what we use for the ministries and activities that were described in this section. Remember, I said there were different gifts, ministries, and activities. Well, God gives us the gifts so that we can begin be involved in, begin to use those gifts in ministries, and those ministries might be very different and the activities that flow from those various ministries might be very different, but they're all rooted in and flow from the energizing gifts of the Spirit that God gives to us. So the gifts that he gives us, we use for ministries and activities. And then in verse 6, there's a real interesting description of what's going on, and I've pondered over that for some time. Let me just read that verse again. There are different activities, but the same God produces each gift in each person. Another English translation I looked at talks about how God works in each person. And I think that's very significant. I was thinking about what does that mean? And, and I liked the word energizes. And, and this really helps me understand. See, God, God energizes the gifts in each person. 
It's not something we manufacture on our own, but it's something that God energizes in us so that then we can have something to contribute to the church, the people of God around us. And imagine, see, this, this is the power of this, of understanding this. Imagine the God who created you, created you the way you are on purpose by the Spirit's transforming work in your life when he made you new, when you became a follower of Jesus. He has made you something you never could have imagined. In other words, he's brought you from dead in sin to alive to God, and now he energizes his spirit in you so that you can be involved in ministries and activities by the energizing power of the Holy Spirit, and you can accomplish good things for God. Well, we're almost at the end of the time we have start for this first part of it. We've got plenty more to go. I'm, I'm just getting warmed up, and I hope you are too. But I want to just kind of remind us where we've come from and, and where we're headed. What we're trying to understand is this concept of spiritual gifts that we learn from the Bible in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where we're focusing today. We're trying to remind ourselves that one gift isn't more important than another, but each gift, and that means you, that means you and the gifts you have, is necessary for the church. It's not sufficient for the church. You're not all the church needs. I'm not all the church needs. None of us is, is everything. We are just part of, but we are an important part of. And I want you to find the gifts that God has given you because he's given them to you by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we use those for ministries and activities because God energizes us to accomplish his purposes by the gifts he has given us. Well, if that isn't enough to get you started in the right direction. We got more to follow, so take a breath and absorb all of that, and we'll be right back in just a minute. Let's get real, let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is McCullough Report. Are you tired of your tired vitamins? Consider Healthy Cell. These are pill-free vitamins that are in convenient gel packs uh, I like the Focus and Recall supplement. I use this a lot. You know, your brain uses a lot of energy, and it depends on a variety of micronutrients and vitamins. Boost your short-term focus and long-term brain power with Healthy Cell's Focus and Recall vitamins. So go to HealthyCell.com, use the code OUTLOUD, all capital letters, OUTLOUD, for a 20% off your first order of any Healthy Cell product. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. Each of us is born with 30 trillion cells that make us. These cells determine how we feel, perform, sleep, focus, and how long we live. And to live our best life, all we have to do is feed our cells. But most food and supplements don't reach our cells, keeping us from reaching our full potential. Make every cell count with Healthy Cell. Founded with a mission to empower people to take control of their own health at the most fundamental level, Dr. Vincent Jampapa, world-renowned cell researcher and medical doctor, created supplements that work at the cellular level to boost immune health, sleep better, focus deeper, and stay younger longer. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of any product. And that's HealthyCell.com. H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. America 
www.thinkoutloud.com is the alternative from the agenda-driven globalist. Here, we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. On-demand podcast or real-time talk radio with our streaming apps on Apple, Android, or Alexa. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. still here. You've come back to explore this idea of spiritual gifts some more. I'm so glad you've stayed with me. This is going to be so helpful to all of us. It just helps me even to talk to you about it, because although I've understood many of these concepts for a long time, it just helps me over and over again to remind myself that that God really can use me and that he uses the gifts he's given me. And it's not anything that I've done, but it's all his work in me. I'm Pastor Rick Stevens, and you're listening to Faith Is, where we help each other develop absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. And today I've been asking you, do you have enough trust in God to believe him that as a follower of Jesus, he has given you special abilities, spiritual gifts that you can use to accomplish his purposes in your life and to help the church that you're a part of, because that's what he gives the gifts for, to allow us to have an effective contribution and effective ministry in the church where he has placed us. And the church where you are needs you. It really does. Your church needs you and what you have to offer. Uh, That's undeniably true. That's absolutely biblical. So we've been working our way through 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we left off with the idea from verses 4 through 6 that these gifts are given by God or by the Holy Spirit, that the gift is what we use for ministries and activities as described in these verses, that God energizes these gifts in each person. Each person has their unique gifts, and God energizes through the power of the Spirit. It's not a static kind of thing. It's, it's energy. This idea of, of he works in us or he energizes us indicates that this is a dynamic and continual energy. It's not static. It's not something that God just gives us and and then we have it. No, the gifts operate by the continual, continuous or continual energizing of the Spirit, and that's significant, because if the Spirit does not energize those gifts that the Spirit has given us, then we can't accomplish what God has called us to do. So it's not about us. It's about the work of the Spirit in and through us. So if you're kind of worried that that this makes it seem like you're going to come across as a... um, how should I say, superior person, because you say to your friend, well, God has given me this gift. That, that is not consistent at all with the Bible. And anybody who comes to that conclusion is simply not understanding what the scriptures are teaching us. It's not about superiority. It's about humbly recognizing that God has chosen to give you gifts that you can use. Now, how does that work? Now, let me, I just picked one. I was trying to think of an, of an example, and I hope this one will help. But widely recognized as a gift of hospitality that God gives certain people. I can tell you for sure that that is not one of my gifts. I don't expect to have many gifts. God seems to give us a few gifts. That's why we need each other. Remember I said earlier, no gift is sufficient for the church. We all need all of the gifts, and we all need each other's and each other's contribution. So let's think about, because I think some of you listening may have the gift of hospitality, 
how might you use that gift of hospitality in ministries and activities? Well, it's possible that at church, as a person with the gift of hospitality, you could be a greeter of some kind, either formally or informally, depending on how your church operates. But if God has given you a gift of hospitality, then you will find yourself greatly fulfilled, and you will find the church greatly helped by your welcoming of people, by your warmth of welcoming them in, both the people that regularly attend and new people that come, because your hospitality will be evident to all. Some of the things you might do as a greeter and in that kind of ministry, some of the activities you might do is you might orient people to their surroundings, tell them where this is or where that is, or you might help them find a seat. You might show them around the building if they ask some questions about where things are or would just like to see things. You might show them around as, as a host or hostess, and that would be hospitality. You might, and I especially think we should be conscious of this, you might talk to some people after the service is over. A lot of times these days, people hurry in at the last minute, and they appreciate someone talking to them afterwards, but sometimes they hang around for longer than we might imagine. And so that could be your hospitality. Now, you might also express your gift of hospitality at home. Maybe you like to invite people over. So maybe you like to have them over for a meal and enjoy the fellowship around the table, and you're just very comfortable with that. And so you do it, or maybe you do it on a smaller scale with coffee and dessert, or maybe you invite some friends over to watch a movie together, or maybe to play games. It could be a number of things. Those are the various activities that might be involved in that, but you might express your hospitality through a ministry at your home where you welcome people in and you get acquainted and they get acquainted with each other. That could all be examples of hospitality and the church needs the gift of hospitality. So if you have it and you say, well, I could never teach a Sunday school class, but I could do that. Well, great. That's exactly what God wants you to do. And that's exactly, wait for it. It's exactly what the church needs you to do. So that's just an example of how one gift might work. And, and you can tease that out for various gifts. And perhaps next week, we'll talk about a more extensive list of gifts, although there is a list in, in 1 Corinthians, and we'll get to that in a minute. The other thing that I think is important for us to recognize comes out of verse 7. So let's just read verse 7 again to remind ourselves. Verse 7 uses a word we don't use often, but it's, but it's the word they use, and, and it's helpful. We can understand what it means. A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. Okay, we've talked about some of this concept already, but here it says a gift or the gift is a manifestation. Well, what, what that means is in simple terms, it's evidence of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you heard earlier, I talked about how some people have fallen into the error of believing this idea of speaking in tongues, however they define that, is a manifestation of the Spirit, and that makes them superior because that's evidence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Here, Paul brings correction to that idea by saying, whatever gift God has given you is evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life. So I talked about hospitality a minute ago. If the Spirit of God has given you the gift of hospitality, that's evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Now, I hope this helps a lot of us because whatever gift God has given you is evidence of the Spirit's work in your life. And we need to rejoice in that and give thanks and acknowledge and not resist it or say, no, it couldn't be so, or any of the other nonsense, because that ends up being something that potentially grieves the Holy Spirit. So whatever gift God has given you is evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in your life. 
And the scriptures teach us, and right here in verse 7, that it's given to each person. So if you're a believer, you got it. Now, you might resist the gift. I don't know about that. There are some other things we could talk about, and it's dangerous to resist what God is giving us. But God clearly says he gives these gifts, some gift of some kind, not always the same. Almost never the same gifts to, to a group of people. They all have different ones, and that's on purpose because we need all of those. So the gift is evidence of the Holy Spirit. It's given to each person, and it's intended, and we've already talked about this, to benefit everyone. The gift God has given you is intended to benefit your church, to benefit everyone in your church. There are people in your church who do not have the gift of hospitality, but they want people to feel welcomed at your church. They really do. They just can't do it. That's just not them. They're just not good at it like you might be. And you can apply that same principle to any gift. So we need each other's gifts, and we are glad to see each other use their gifts. I'm glad when I see people in my church do things that I can't do, because I'm bad at a lot of things. I'm good at only a little bit, a little few things. And so I'm really glad when people step up and embrace what God is doing in their lives, because it benefits all of us. You know, we just came through Christmas and a lot of people were giving gifts back and forth. And um, I'm pretty sure it probably wasn't you, but I'm pretty sure there were some people out there that re-gifted something. You know what I mean? Where you get a gift and eh, you're not that keen on the gift and you don't really want to hurt the giver's feelings. So you accept the gift, but you kind of tuck it away. And when you need to give a gift, you decide, aha, I can take that gift and re-gift it. Well, that's a little, a little unusual, and we think of it as a little weird, but in a non-weird way, when God gives his people gifts from the Holy Spirit, and then they use those gifts for the benefit of the people around them, that, that is a holy re-gifting. So if you like the idea of re-gifting, you can do that with, when you use your spiritual gifts to benefit the church around you. That's a holy Regifting, and I encourage that, and I hope you will practice that idea of a holy regifting. Now, in eight through ten verses, eight through ten, then we see that the the gifts are given by the Spirit, and then it lifts it lists a few of them. Now, most people that I've studied and and learned from about spiritual gifts acknowledge that there is no complete list of spiritual gifts in the Bible. They will say that there are a few here and a few there, and evidence of others scattered in different places around the Bible, and that we can become aware of them because the Spirit shows us them. And I think it's also fair to say that why would we expect that, that God would limit himself to just the list that he puts in one or two passages in the Bible? Now, he could do that. Uh, there's no question he could. But it seems obvious to many of us that, that the way God has worked is he has used people by, by his design and purpose in lots of ways, and so there are many gifts. So I'm, I want to read this list that, that we see here in Corinthians that comes out of verses 8 through 10 as an example, not as a closed list. In fact, you'll notice that the example I used of hospitality isn't on this list, but it, hospitality is widely accepted as a gift of the Spirit. So the list from Corinthians is this, wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, 
miracles, prophecy, discernment, languages, interpretation of languages. Now, some of you might say, well, aren't we all supposed to have faith? Yes, that, that's true. But when it talks about a spiritual gift of faith, that's a different type and a different level of faith. So don't be distracted by that. Just understand that you probably have recognized in your life that you've met people that they just are people of great faith, and, and they just have an extraordinary confidence in God. Well, what I appreciate about that is lead on, guide us how to have that kind of faith. Show me by your example. Perhaps God will give me the ability to trust him more because of what you have demonstrated to me. And we need people like that to lift our faith. It's not that we don't have faith. It's just that those people who are gifted by God to help the rest of us grow our faith and strengthen our faith. And that's what we do for each other. And we're glad for that. We're not jealous of that. And we're not saying, oh, dear, I thought we all had to have faith and giving ourselves excuses of one kind or another. No, not at all. Uh, we all ex expect each other to have a level of wisdom, but there's a level of wisdom that comes from God that stands out to us in the context of the church. And we recognize that God has helped some people just have a little different wisdom, different level of wisdom. And so we all benefit from that because we hear them speak and explain things to us. And we say, that makes a lot of sense. And we can use that for our lives as well. So those are some ideas of, of potential gifts that God might give you. Uh, if you don't find yours on there, let me give you a clue, and we'll talk some more about this next week. Probably the most common gift that I've seen God give, and by no means does everybody have it, it's just a, a rather, uh, rather common gift that a lot of people seem to have, along with some other gifts, but it's the gift of helps because I've noticed it's just a wonderful thing around so many churches. Many, many people are just willing to pitch in and help. And some people just thrive on that. I can think of one person in particular that I've known just thrives on helping. And it's almost a little difficult for me to ask that person to do things because I feel bad. It, it makes me feel like I'm giving some of my responsibilities away and, and maybe I should be doing that. But this person would never think of it that way because their delight is to help the church. And so if I can ask them to do something and it's helpful to the church, they just pitch right in and get it done. And so maybe that's you. And, and if that's the place you need to start, then celebrate that. Because let me tell you, we need a lot of people to help accomplish the work of God. And if he has given you the gift of helps, help away, just plunge in and do it. So in verse 11, we have a little bit of a summary of what's been going on here in this teaching about spiritual gifts. We have the idea that we mentioned earlier that we always must keep in mind that, that the same Spirit, the Spirit of God, activates the gifts in us. And he distributes the gifts to the church, and he chooses the recipients as he wills. Let's read verse 11. One and the same Spirit is active in all these, distributing to each person as he wills. So you and I, we cannot use our spiritual gifts unless the Spirit of God activate, activates those gifts in us. It just isn't possible, because that's inherent in the definition of a spiritual gift. It's something that the Holy Spirit does in and through us, because He works in and through us. And so we are the recipients of those spiritual gifts uh, by His choice, because it says He distributes those gifts to the church, and He distributes them in the context of the people of God, the church, and he chooses the recipients of those gifts, the individual recipients, as he wills. So there's no room for jealousy. 
There's no room for me saying, well, I wish I had that gift. There have been occasional times in my life that I've thought, sure would be nice if God had given me the gift of, and I'll fill in the blank. But then I come back to my senses and I realize that, you know, that's just really utterly foolish because it's God who decides. And obviously he wants me to use my gifts and he wants me to depend on other people who are gifted in the ways that I might wish I was to accomplish his purpose. See, the, the reason that, that some of us, and maybe I should just own that, the reason that I would wish for some other spiritual gifts is because of people's expectations. Sometimes I think people expect me to be a certain way that I'm not, and that I know that I never can be. But I'm always encouraged when, when I think about that to remember that it's really not about their expectations, it's about God's gifts and his resulting expectations of me. That makes a lot of difference. Believe me, that makes a lot of difference. Well, I want to think about one more thing before we wrap up our conversation about spiritual gifts. And I want to, to use the, the story of Jesus at the wedding of Cana of Galilee. You might remember that that was the first place that he performed a miracle. And it was quite a remarkable thing. It's a rather short story. And um, rather some rather interesting things in that, but let's just read that from, from John chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, about the story of Jesus turning the water into wine. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding as well. When the wine ran out, Jesus' mother told him, they don't have any wine. What does that have to do with me? I'm sorry, what does that have to do with you and me, woman? Jesus asked. My hour has not yet come. Do whatever he tells you, his mother told the servants. Now six stone water jars had been set there for Jewish purification. Each contained 20 or 30 gallons. Fill the jars with water, Jesus told them, so they filled them to the brim. Then he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the head waiter. And they did. When the head waiter tasted the water after it had become wine, he did not know where it, had came, where it came from. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew, he called the groom and told him, everyone sets out the fine wine first, then after people are drunk, the inferior. But you have kept the fine wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee. He revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum together with his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, and they stayed there only a few days. So I suggest that we think of this as a parable of the way spiritual gifts operate. So I want to break this down. I find it fascinating that um, Jesus' mother approaches him, and he resists doing anything about it. And then without any more explanation, she turns to the service and says, do whatever he says, as though she presumes he's going to do it. Uh, there's, there's something going on here between Jesus and his mother that I would sure like to understand better, but I don't. And that's a peripheral thing to the parable that, or the way I want to approach this story as a parable, but it's, it, it's really fascinating. And I think it helps us to, to read the Bible and to imagine some of those kinds of things. But the main focus of this is that there's a wedding and they run out of wine. And that's a horrible problem because they were obligated to provide for their guests. It would have been a serious social faux pas, would have been an embarrassment for them. Obviously, Jesus' mother understands that. Obviously, Jesus then rises to the occasion, solves the problem in a way that we would have never expected. 
So the problem really is this, the hosts don't have enough wine. They've run out. It's been an extended feast. That was not unusual. And they just simply didn't plan well or made a mistake. It's not explained why they ran out. They just ran out. And so now they have a problem to solve and Jesus is called on to solve the problem. And sure enough, he transforms the water into wine by, by them simply doing what he says, filling up the, the containers with water, the wine appears, the water is changed, and they now have that wine they can take and share with the guests. And also, it's interesting that while everybody in the story didn't know what happened, they did do what was expected when Jesus would have expected, what everybody would have expected. They took the wine and began to share it both with the host and then with the guests. So let's think about that in terms of of how God works in us to help the people around us and to help the church. Well, the host didn't have enough wine. They needed wine. And the church needs the Spirit. The church cannot be energized without the Spirit of God. We have to have the Spirit of God. That's what makes us, you might say, spiritual. So the church needs the Spirit in the same way the host needed more wine. Well, Jesus transformed the water to wine. And similarly, when someone turns to Christ and prays and changes their life and follows Jesus, then that person becomes a Christian and is changed or energized by the Spirit. Something old went away, something new has come. They are changed and energized by the Spirit. And then they, in the same way Jesus expect the host to share the wine with the guests, they, being energized by the Spirit, we could say being energized or being given gifts that are energized by the Spirit, we have gifts now to share with the church. And so this becomes, in, in many respects, I find it fascinating to compare this with the process of spiritual gifts, because it very much parallels this story of Jesus changing the water into wine. They needed wine. The church needs the spirit. People are changed in the same way water was changed to wine. People are changed and energized by the spirit and the gifts the spirit gives. Jesus expected them to share the, the wine with the host and the guests. And we, the energized people of, the, of God, are expected to share our gifts with the church. So think about this and you think about what you need to do about this. What if the host had kept the wine? We'd be telling this story quite a bit differently, wouldn't we? Wouldn't we? Because the host would have come across as so ungrateful, so selfish, so self-focused. And what is it if we refuse to recognize that the Holy Spirit of God has energized gifts in us for us to share with the church? Does that make us ungrateful? Does that make us have a false humility? You know, humility isn't about, uh, it's not me. No, humility is about forgetting yourself and recognizing that it's God who works through you and rejoicing in what he's done, not focusing on you because it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about the Spirit's work in our lives. And that is so significant. What, what if Jesus had taken the gift of the wine and made them feel superior? What if they had given, what if Jesus had given the wine to them and they had somehow taken that gift, that a better wine, 
and thought, well, look at us now. We're really hot stuff because we've got superior stuff. In the same way, what if we have given, been, been given gifts by God and we suddenly begin to think too highly of ourselves as though, look at me, look what God is doing through me then we would be acting in a way that's superior to the other people around us. And that's exactly contrary to what the scriptures are talking about. The host needs to share the wine so he's not ungrateful or selfish. And we need to make sure that the gift of, of the spirit, the gift of wine doesn't make us act in a way that's superior than the people around us. Because remember, we all need each other. We all need the gifts God has given us. And I don't think Jesus would have been too kindly inclined toward the host at that party if that host had started acting superior to, by virtue of the wine that jesus had given him as a gift and we don't want to act superior by virtue of the gifts that god has given us well this idea of gifts has really helped me and it helps me understand what god expects of me it helps me understand how i can serve the church better it helps me decide what i need to be doing and what i need to be not doing and it helps me have a settled confidence that I can please God in the conduct of my life and my ministry. Doesn't make me perfect, doesn't make me superior, but it, the concept really helps me. And I hope it helps you because that's what we're here for. We're here to help each other have confidence in God. And I hope you can trust God enough to believe that he gives you gifts and you can then put them into practice. We'll talk some more about this next week. I'm Pastor Rick Stevens. I hope you'll join me then.